Later on this episode. I remember not hearing anything and like I'm literally at a Phillies game, Phillies Cubs game. And I checked my, you know, I didn't I think they emailed me. I just checked like ESPN. I was like, holy crap, I think my story's up on ESPN. This is At The Podium with Manuela Mesqua, a podcast featuring interviews with top performers in sports, business, and entertainment to uncover the stories, lessons, and disciplines of the top 1%. Ladies and gentlemen. And now here's your host, CEO and entrepreneur, Manuela Mesqua. Gang, here we are at the podium yet again. Today, I have a special friend, nearly 20-year relationship, definitely more than 15, close to 20. My good buddy, Andy Fry. Andy, who was in the business I was in 15, 20 years ago, woke up one day and said, you know what? I'm going to go back to the dreams I had in fourth grade when I wrote my very first sports-related article called Chess Champs for the Blair Mill Elementary newspaper. Today, Andy's not only an incredible father, he's a friend. Andy is a sports writer. He's written for Forbes, ESPN, and Rolling Stones. And most recently, and congrats, my friend, you've authored the new book, 90 Days in the 90s, which just dropped here in June. Congrats again. Thanks for being on the show. Thanks, Manny. Thanks for having me. I, after all these years, I can tell that we neither one of us can count, but you know that's okay. I know. I think I left the business in 2000. Well, the the, the the like the registered rep business, 2011. I sold some commod or not commodities, um, currencies for a while, <laughs> like real ones, not crypto or anything. <laughs> and I was like, the whole time I was just trying to keep keep myself sane. I remember passing on to you a couple of blogs I wrote that you and like six of my friends read and then, you know, kind of blossomed from there. I can talk about the, you know, the road and so on, but you know, uh, sometimes your hobbies become your profession, you know, provided you're not like a, uh, a bird watcher or a circus juggler, I guess. But look, what I, what I love, what I love the best when, when we kind of just loosely stayed in touch, right. In all reality, we've just loosely stayed in touch and, you know, I've enjoyed watching you. I mean, you used to be one of the best dressed suits in the firm in Northern Chicago, always had the best tie on. And I just remember you would never button it to the top, but I love how you, you transition from that financial advisor or registered rep to, to literally going back to a dream you had as a child. Yeah. And, and, and I love the fact that the first article you wrote was in the fourth grade for your elementary school. You know, that this show is all about listening to the story, sharing the stories around the wins, losses, and lessons of high performance people in sports business and life. And we talk about dreaming so often and who's in your corner, empowering you to pursue those dreams. Yeah. What was it? What happened? Because you were doing well in financial services. What happened that said, you know what? I'm making this hard 180 degree yeah. pivot and I'm going to attack that dream. Well, I guess you're, you're conveniently forgetting the uh, issues, you know, personal, otherwise that I had with underwriters, you know, slowing me down and stuff. But um, I won't repeat what I said in some of the meetings. I remember you said to me, so what do you think about underwriters this, this month, Brian? <laughs> you know, I won't repeat what I said about them. But yeah, I mean, I, I guess, you know, it's sort of like uh, you have a hobby or an incl inclination. And I think most people 
you know, and your hobby can be, you know, building birdhouses. Like I, I used to live down the block from an old guy who's retired. He's like a, like a union plumber who retired like 35 years ago. And he makes, um, you know, we call it cornhole or bags. He makes like high end cornhole, you know, those decks with the holes in them. That's about the size of my desk. And you can get like bears one, bulls one. Uh, he probably doesn't know any bands, but I said, like, if I said, can you make me a, I don't know, a Grateful Dead one or Dave Matthews band one or Ramones one, he probably would find a way to do it. And he charged me 200 bucks to do it with, you know, the wood and the paint. So I think whatever your, your passion or what, you know, kind of what helps you let your hair down can be, I give you a bad Cubs reference. I just saw yesterday that Kyle Farnsworth, who pitched for the Cubs uh, back in the late 90s, 2000s, is like a bodybuilder now. So, of course, when I saw that on Instagram, I thought, well, I hope he's a better bodybuilder than he was a pitcher, you know, relief pitcher with the Cubs. But yeah, he's like a closer, right? No, he was like a middle reliever. He was like the first. Okay. He was like a big athletic guy that could have an awesome three innings. And then sometimes like he'd be pitching, you know, he'd be like uh, had goose egg, you know, like basically no, no runs, no hits. And then he would scoop it up and like completely miss the first baseman and throw it. Like I remember during the Cubs Sox game. Uh, my wedding weekend, 2001, we won, a, we beat uh, the, the Sox, your team, 11-1 on that Sunday. But I remember the one time he picked it up and people were like, no, 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 no. And he threw it in the, he threw it in the stands. And I was like 20 rows back. It could have hit me in the head. But the point is, like, you know, that guy's still doing things that he loves. Obviously, he can't pitch forever. He can't play baseball forever. He played for a long time. But, you know, somewhere along the lines, whether we knew it or not, he was into bodybuilding and, you know, keeping fit or whatever. And eventually you just either – staple a competitive impulse to that competitive impulse with yourself or you just you know you have more time in your hands or more you know financial means or whatever and you just start doing a little bit more of what you love hopefully it doesn't really matter what it is brewing beer you know making arts and crafts quilts i don't know um for me i guess the fourth grade story suggests that i was always a bit of a writer i always had uh i never really originally considered myself a good storyteller but at least i was like nutty crazy for for chess in the fourth grade and like all of us were playing it. So I don't think I posted that article onto my website, but like, it was a big deal. It was, you know, winter, it was 20 degrees out in the winter in 2000 or sorry, that's 1982 yeah, 1982 or so. And it was just such a big deal that, you know, when someone said we have a school newspaper, you want to write something. I was like, I got to write about this. So, yeah, I mean, I think passions have a way to kind of seep out even if we work 60 hours a week and something we like or we don't like. And you just got to kind of embrace it, I think, and see where it goes. Well, I mean, it, it reminds me. Um, first of all, I love the fact that you you just told like five stories on one question. Uh, oh. Farnsworth, though, if I remember correctly, because listen, I'm a Southside kid, diehard Chicago White Sox, ride or die forever. Yeah. I think Farnsworth had like kind of like a half mullet, right? Like kind of like heavy, heavy, like longer hair in the back or something strange or unique. I don't Not strange, unique. I don't remember. I mean, I remember Kevin Tappany had a little bit of something like that, but Kevin Tappany's thing was he'd pitch a perfect three innings and then he would literally melt down in the fifth and put like 18 people on base. You know, and people always talk about Kevin Tappany. He's like, oh, he's a great pitcher. I'm like, yeah, until the fourth or fifth. And then he was, oh my God, I got to leave the ballpark. You know, nothing personal against the guy, but he was a great three-inning pitcher. I, I think he had a little, and there was um, Rod Beck definitely had a, a, a mullet. Um, he's no longer with us, I, I think. But yeah, I don't think, I think Car I think Farnsworth was probably like, I heard stories about him that he'd like show up to your crappy bar at two in the morning or he would get his, I don't know if it's true, get his haircut at like sport clips or like the haircuttery. 
he's just like a nuts and bolts kind of guy. Yeah, I never met him. I never met him or if you interviewed him, but I mean, I think he liked Wrigleyville. So I would yeah. be surprised if, like, you know, he skipped a skipped a season and didn't get a haircut, had a mullet. I just don't really remember that. I thought you were going to say when you touched the back of your head. I thought you were going to say he had Vaseline on the back of his cap, and that's. I thought you were going to make a charge there, but oh, uh, no. we can talk about cork bats later if you want to bring up Sosa. Chicago, yeah, yeah. I was going to say the the north side, not the south side. Hey. You never, no one ever accused Carlton Fisk of cork bats. Let me, okay, let, let me pivot. So right. career, you were in sales, you were in marketing, you were in technology. I mean, yeah. like I, I just, I love understanding. And so do our listeners, the folks who listen on YouTube, Spotify, Apple, like they love hearing someone's journey to the podium. And, and I mean that like. Yeah. You have made the. I mean, this is your calling. You are great at this. I mean, we just joked offline that you have this opportunity with this like high profile, probably one of the best hundred athletes of our time across all professional sports. And you're yeah. not going to be able to do the interview. And you said that. And I'm over here crying, thinking like, I wish someone called me and said, hey, can you interview this gentleman? But anyway, yeah, sales, marketing, IT, and now you're a sports writer. And this is the calling. This is it. I mean, what? Talk to our listeners, share the story kind of on your path. And yeah. really, what was the epiphany? Though? What was the epiphany? What was the thing that oh. said, this is the golden ticket for my happiness for the rest of my life? Well, you know, I've never really looked at, because sales is really just on entrepreneurship. And I've, I've always been a freelance sports writer. I've never been in the building at ESPN. Like I bump into people at ABC and Chicago, like, oh, you're in the building. I'm like, well, no, I've never been in the building. Um, I don't need to go to the building, especially after a pandemic. But I've never considered like the entrepreneurial part and the writing part not related because um, yeah, actually like my first job out of college was I basically did sales for a bank and we did kind of second mortgages for this bank, Midwestern bank that didn't really have the best rates and, you know, help people with that, that, that didn't have the best credit, but they were, I mean, they weren't like loan sharks or anything. We did a lot of home improvement loans and consolidation loans. So you got to be a little more assertive with a, a bank like that. So I kind of went from like, you know, nice kid was maybe a little bit of a wimp when it came to addressing people to like, you know, having to follow up and be straight with people and say, you know, here's your options, choose one, or, you know, here's how we can come to the table. So, um, yeah, it's, I mean, I, all, it's entrepreneurship and just sort of being able to speak up and say what you want, and then also combine that. So I built similar, similarly to like when I was in sales, I built pretty much the same relationships in as a sports writer, freelance sports writer as I did when I was, you know, selling, um, currencies or insurance or investments. And it's, I mean, you're probably thinking like, Oh, I must have relationships with professional athletes. It's not so much that it's more with publicists. And so, um, you know, back when I was working for country financial for you and you had gone out on your own to kind of start your own agency, I think I was still there and I was just trying to keep myself sane. This is probably circa 2008 or so. Um, just, you know, a friend of mine who knows me from a long time ago, Knew that uh, I knew about a lot about sports and I liked it. And then she she said, yeah, you should start a blog. And I said, I think I know what a blog is. So, you know, you just go to, I went to blogger.com and would write this thing. And, you know, it kind of just started that way, like circling the rounds, like, hey, friends at home, read this, tell me what you think, comment, whatever. And I never looked at like how many clicks I got because I didn't want to get discouraged if I had like 12 readers. But, um, you know, that, and I was also in the Rotary Club for a while, uh, Rotary Club in Chicago. and 
someone handed me the job of doing the the, the weekly newsletter because we met on Tuesdays. So long story short, like I actually like took pride in both those things that I edited. It, I made interesting stories. I remember one year during April Fool's Day, we had April Fool's Day was on a Tuesday, and I wrote an April Fool's edition and I emailed the whole club at midnight saying that um, this was 2008. So I basically literally took an article on Bear Stearns melting down and liquidating, replaced Bear Stearns with Rotary, and then sent, sent it like to the whole chapter saying like Rotary's being taken over by a Lions Club. And I had like two people say, oh, you know, that's pretty damn funny. I won't tell anybody. But even the next day, I'm going to get in the elevator and someone's like, did you see the email last night? I'm like, you mean the April Fool's joke? Really, bro? Um, and I got to the main floor and like I was welcomed by people laughing with smiles. And then the the, the uh, president of the chapter was not happy. He's like, can I, can I talk to you? I need to talk to you. But long story short, I mean, I, may, I took that like it was, you know, I didn't get paid for that. I didn't get much pat on the back. But like that little thing, writing a newsletter weekly. I just made it my own and maybe I'm just sort of, uh, I tend to geek out on like writing emails and things like memos and things that are just like, I want them to read well. And I, that was just something, that's probably the, the, the thing I've always had to so combine that with a subject that I want to write about. Um, I think that's where the writing piece of it came. And then literally, I think just sink or swim and sales and financial services, you know, you beat a, meet a business owner and you want to connect with them. You don't, stalk them outside their house and try to sell them product first. You try to build a relationship if you know what you're doing, knowing that you might get a really awesome sale six months down the road, or they might you might get a small sale. And then they say, hey, talk to my brother who's worth $80 million. His, you know, his, uh, his agent from whatever company is terrible and he fired him. So, you know, it, you, you got to look, I look at small opportunities and, um, you know, I was, so with the writing piece, I was writing about like, I mean, sometimes I joke about like log tossing and midget wrestling and stuff. But I mean, that's kind of what it was in the beginning. I remember getting an invite to uh, someone told me I could get a media pass to the Air Guitar Championships, which were in Chicago at Metro in like 2010. And I went to it, of course. I covered the whole thing for my blog. But um, eventually I got some opportunities with some like uh, PR people started noticing some of the, what I was writing. And maybe I had some like built some relationships with other writers who maybe sent things my way. And I got. I can tell you the story about when I met uh, probably the first famous athlete, I, I like the first professional athlete I met and interviewed in person, actually at all, was Matt Forte from the Chicago Bears. So, I mean, it really blossomed from there. People see that article and other publicists are like, well, hey, I got, you know, XYZ athlete, you know, you want to interview them, let's set something up. And now I'm getting like 20 pitches a week. And so it's really like entrepreneurship plus passion plus being organized and you know, really just, even if you're doing a stupid little thing that you don't think anybody's going to read, you put your heart into it because that's how you are, you know, good things happen. I think. Yeah. I love, I love, uh, first of all, I love the examples. I, I have to do this though, because this is a picture of myself in Matt Forte yeah. at Bill Rancic's, uh, uh, wow. one of his charitable fundraisers that Samantha and I attended and and I was so excited. I had already known and met, you know, a few dozen players for the Chicago bears over about a half decade at that time. And, and huh. I was just so excited to meet him. And I never, ever asked people if I could take a photo. And I vividly recall Samantha was like, I don't care. I'm going to tell him you like him and you want to take a photo. Yeah. And she just walked over and he was so kind. And at that time, my children, Ava and Atlas were really young and mm -hmm. they would call him dad, deuce, deuce. They'd be like, deuce, deuce is on. 
Deuce yeah. Deuce carried the ball. Deuce Deuce got a tutty, Dad. And yeah. I just, you know, vividly remember what was it like to interview him and spend a little bit of time with him? Well, it was cool. So it was, I want to, I don't I think it was 2011. Um, whatever, whatever was the last year that Tressman was coach. Um, so <laughs> what it was a bi- horrible story of a oh, movie sorry. that is. It, well, the reason I remember this, it was bi week. They were doing pretty well. Um, so I got to go up to Hallis Hall, which was, you know, amazing to get to do that. Um, I got an email from somebody in New York who's a, a kind of a junior publicist. I don't even think she's in the business. Her name is Christina something. And I think now she's like, her passion was to be like an audiologist because she, I think she babysat like a hearing impaired kid when she was little, but she got out of college, kind of did what she thought she should do in PR. And anyway, she found me. I think she was looking for a Chicago blogger or somebody who did a little bit of writing. And it was, you know, she knew that she wasn't going to get like, uh, Rick Morrissey or David Huff here, or somebody who was kind of more established, because the story was that there was a web series called Tough Season, um, and so it's a comedy web comedy. It's a couple of Chicago improv comedy guys and professional athletes. Long story short, the plot is: imagine you and me and Matt Forte and Wes Welker and uh, Eli Manning, like we're all in a fantasy football league and we're super hyper competitive about it. And I want to beat Eli Manning, and I wasn't want to talk crap with him about how I whipped his team last. You know, that's what it was. So uh, Matt Forte was kind of like the more quiet of the a couple of uh, professional athletes that they had. So they were promoting the season two of of Tough Season, and they basically said go up to Hallis Hall, you know, after uh, after practice or before practice, whatever it was, you know, get to meet with them. So uh, sponsored by Lenovo, the uh, the laptop people, because they were yeah. like, bankrolling it. So anyway, they're yeah, I got to go business. up there. Got to, I got to go. He's like six one. He's he's like lean and super. He's like thin for a football player. That was kind of weird. Like, wow, you're really lean, dude. Like, he's not bulky, which I guess is you know helps your speed or whatever. And he was super nice. He was kind of quiet but funny. And we I asked him about his sense of humor, and he talked about a a, um, a scene in which he was wearing a grass skirt and he's like daydreaming about being on the like. I think he's like in a meeting talking about football and fantasy football, and he really doesn't want to be there, so he starts daydreaming about being on a beach. Dancing like grass skirts. We got a clip of that video where he's like literally <laughs> hula hula grass skirt. He's wearing his Bears jersey. And uh, yeah, he was like super nice. And I spent like a half an hour with him just taking notes and recording. Love and it. Then, uh, then that was a bye week. The next week they had the Packers and pretty much they got destroyed by the Packers and they had all the drama in the locker room and everything went down from there. Yeah. And then Tressman was out at the end of that, before the end of that season, I think. But I remember that season actually vividly, yeah. just to be clear. So I think people saw that. I wrote it for Red Eye, which is part of the Chicago Tribune. Um, it, was, it was a daily then. It was basically a sports and entertainment daily. Kind of like light stories, not super deep stuff for the most part. And that, um, yeah, I think you know some PR people saw that. And I started getting some emails here and there like, hey, I saw you did this. Do you want to talk to, you know, whoever? and it was a lot of, at the time, it was a lot of like CEOs starting sports related, you know, startups or I think at some point, maybe a year later, I got to talk to Ryan Howard, who uh, you know played with the Phillies and some players that were kind of at the end of their careers. And then, I mean, now it's, you know, I've talked to, I've, as you probably know, I've interviewed Shaq twice in the last year. I've interviewed Lindsey Vaughn three times. Yeah. And I, and I want to, I want to come back to this list of, of high profile, <laughs> high performance people in sports business and life, but sure. let me, let me, let me stay on the career just for oh. one more question. Okay. Um, I've I've heard you because a lot of our listeners are are folks that are following us on Instagram, uh, you know, at the podium podcast. And 
and and they're looking not only for you know information and content that's entertaining but they also want to hear about things that could be relevant or applicable or helpful to where they're at in life and so one of the things that i think about is i've heard you recognize yeah that your early careers in sales and even financial services help to develop certain skill sets or improve certain skills you had yeah. that have now proved to be very helpful to you as a sports writer and someone who, I know you don't call yourself a storyteller, but you're helping to tell people stories, share their stories. Yeah. Can you, can you speak a little bit about a few of those skill sets that you acquired in sales, in financial services that you've now found have been very relevant to this very different career? Yeah, it's a lot of like, I mean, I, I think it's a lot of what we call the soft skills side, like um, just following up with people. And and so, for example, uh, and also like, you know, don't burn bridges, build relationships. I mean, you don't always get what you want. I've known other freelance sports writers that like pitch five baseball stories a month. And then when they get, you know, the second or third or eighth, know that they lash out at the editor at, you know, whatever publication they're writing because they're pissed off and then they burn that bridge. Like, don't do that. That's pretty much common sense, I think. Go back to the follow-up though, because I've heard you say this before. I think it's gold to any professional in life. Follow-up, talk about that. Yeah, follow-up. Yeah, it's, um, I think the first time I started, I, I had a, a connection with an editor who didn't really know me at ESPN. So I was writing for page two. If you remember page two, it was kind of funny stories and videos. It was like, the not serious stuff that was yeah, the light. You, you basically you're not working at work and you're looking at it on on the web. So uh, I kind of figured out. I think I'm pretty perceptive, and I kind of just without them telling me, like, you know, like the big four sports, they got staffers. They're not going to take anything from me on baseball, football, basketball, hockey because they don't need that. Um, I found this story called. I found this sports, or maybe someone contacted me about the sport called fistball, which is basically like a. It's kind of like a variant of volleyball that's played there's a world cup and it's played in scandinavia and brazil and then there i found there's this little ragtag team in uh wisconsin and so anyway i pitched that story and followed up and i thought well he's not gonna be interested in this i mean they don't know who these guys are and but they said yeah so it was like you know if you want to do the story i'm interested in no more than 500 words get some video you know, have it by this date or have something by this date and i made sure it was polished and it was perfect and it was you know, I think he, the auditor maybe offered me like 75 bucks. It wasn't a lot for the story, but you know, I'm like, if, if it's ESPN, I'll do it. So yeah, they put together my plan, kind of previewed what I was going to ask these athletes. And, you know, it, it's as, it was as quirky as page two, ESPN page two was at the time where literally I'm talking to the captains of the USA national fistball team and he's smoking a cigarette. Like that doesn't happen if you talk to, you know, Megan Rapino, who's, you know, in the, oh. in the middle of the world cup or, you know, so that was kind of, it sort of worked out. And then I remember not hearing anything. And like, I'm literally at a Phillies game, Phillies Cubs game. And I checked my, you know, I think they emailed me. I just checked like ESPN. I was like, holy crap. I think my story's up on ESPN. It was like July, first week of July in uh, 2011. So like on that, I had other ideas. And, you know, I, I, I do what's called, I'm going to write about this in a book someday, um, the 100 word pitch. Because when I, the few times when I was in financial services and I would email people to follow up or because I met them or whatever, I know that you and I, we don't have time to read six page emails. And we, we open up our email, we I see won't. a huge paragraph. It's like words, words, words. Oh, I'll come back to it later. And then we don't. But if it's a punchy, you know, a punchy subject line that isn't too 
salesy or cheesy. And there's a 50 to 100 words is like, okay, I, I, I can read this real quick. You know, some sort of expediters of what do I have to read? What, I, what do I not have to read? And I just started applying. I worked a couple of times to set up appointments when I was in sales, but it started working more when I was pitching editors. You don't know who the heck I am. Um, I could be like, you know, um, just a subject or a name of a famous person who had something tangentially sports related. They're doing it in Chicago. I'd pitch them. And if they didn't follow up the next day, I would follow up. If I had someone's phone number, I would leave a message politely. I'm not going to stalk them. But yeah, I think it's it's one of those things that people think, well, product is what sells things or, you know, you got to have connections. Yeah, that that's true too. But I really think that reaching out and following up is the most important thing. I'll give you a little story. So um, in the middle, a couple of years ago, I had a friend who was, I think, editing for Hearst, which Hearst has, like, my dream publication would be to write for Esquire. She got to go ahead to, I think it was Ronda Rousey just got knocked out by Holly Holm. I may have the athletes. I, was, remember, I remember that fight. Yeah. So it was like, oh, yeah, I got the green light to write an article for Esquire if I can just locate Holly Holm and interview her, which I'm like, dude, that's awesome. So, uh, so she messages me and she's like, do you know, know anybody at UFC? And I was like, I don't think so, but let me ask around. And a bit, literally later that afternoon, someone that I, who hooked me up with, uh, strangely Cubs fan and Rage Against Machine guitarist Tom Marilla was like, yeah, talk to this person at UFC, gave me their name, gave me their phone number, gave me their email. And I sent it back to my friend. I was like, okay, you're writing for Esquire. You're not writing for the Podunk News out in you know Ames, Iowa or whatever it is. Like, this is a real good publication. Nothing against Podunk News. <laughs> And I said, okay, email You're this like guy. this. This one is good. This yeah. is Esquire. This one's good. Yeah. I mean, I'd love to write for Esquire. I'm not quite there. So I was like, um, and it might've been just digital edition, but I, was, I literally said like, email this guy. He's like the commonest person at ultimate fighting championship. Call him, leave a message when he doesn't respond in a day, email him again, call him back. Cause it's like, you're not. You know, you're, you're not trying to sell them an insurance policy. You're, you're like trying to interview the, the top athlete right now that they probably want to talk about who just did this amazing thing. And I think about a month later, I asked her, I was like, so whatever happened with that? She's like, oh, I, I emailed him, but he never emailed me back. I'm like, come on, really? You didn't call the guy? So, um, you know, I think that was a lost opportunity. And I know that people, have, some people have different comfort zone than I do, but you got to ask what you want in life. And you got to follow up once or twice. I mean, there's been, to give you another example, um, a few years ago, you might remember on opening day, baseball, Major League Baseball decided all the all the ball clubs were going to play on opening day, March 29th. They're all going to play the same day. It was the first time in history. So Kingsford Charcoal had this commercial. They had one in Spanish with David Ortiz, but the one with Johnny uh, Johnny Bench was like, literally, this, I thought this was funny. You think it was funny. Sitting at a desk, cold calling fans. Like, hey, you're going to be there opening day. You're going to be there opening day. Like hanging up. He's, he's you know smiling and dial, dialing. And it was a Friday I saw that. I thought, hmm, I wonder if I find if I find the PR person who put up the press release or you know, find Kingsford PR's comms person. I bet if I stalk him a little bit, I'll probably they'll either tell me no or I'll get an interview with Johnny Bench. And I found the person, I found like the the press release on like, I don't know, uh, business wire or something with the person's name under it. And he emailed him Friday, got back to me Tuesday. He's like, Yeah, we can get Johnny Bench on the phone for you for about 10 minutes or so. He's like, you know, if you want to mention Kingsford Charcoal, great, but just talk to him about like grilling out because he loves grilling out. They talk about baseball with the guy. So, um, you know, he told me how he does steaks. We kind of talked about what we like and we don't like. He told me, I think at the time he had like two teenagers or maybe like two college age kids at home. He's like, 
I cook all their hot dogs and stuff. So then I can get them out of my face and cook my, my steaks the way that I, you know, with my special rub. And so we had this great, I had this great conversation with Johnny Bench. All you had to do is like find the person who was repping the brand that's probably spending $10 million a weekend on commercial. Yeah. They paid him. They probably want to use him. So, you know, if you're, if you're someone who's a little bit more introverted and you think, well, they don't know me or they don't, why would they, you know, just suck it up and see what you want. It, you can, there's other examples I can make that are outside of sports, but you know, whenever you want to set up a power partnership or, you know, a sales relationship or a relationship of any sort, or even just get an interview, sometimes you got to just find the right person and reach out to them. And the worst thing they could say is no, or, or never respond to you. But, you know, usually if you follow up once, they'll say, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, let's talk about it or no, it can't do it or, you know, yes, or whatever. You're going to get some sort of reply. You just got to put together that, you know, that's, I think it's like putting your shoes on. You just got to like do those, some of those things every day. Just do it. To get what you want in life. And you'll yeah. be surprised how, you know, then you start building a rep and then people start reaching out to you. Like I didn't go to journalism school. I don't, I'm not famous, but I got to interview some cool people. So it's, I think it's a building process. Just like, so let me try to oh. summarize because look, I think, I think you gave a ton of career advice in there. Yeah. A little just too much by too. sharing stories and examples, yeah. things you've lived, right? Let me attempt to summarize a couple of the things that I wrote down. So, sure. so first of all, I wrote down that relationships really are the foundation to being successful in any new endeavor. So, Thanks. hey, you believe in yourself, you believe in your passion, you're willing to take the risk. Now you got to make sure that you are aware of people and the significance of a good relationship. And that means like, don't burn a bridge if no is the first initial response because you don't have any street credibility or like my favorite thing to say is like, you know, like the mafia movies, you know, don't send somebody nobody sent. Well, you're sent by nobody right now. Yeah. You got to be okay with the fact that you might hear no eight to 10 times first, first time around. Yeah. Second thing I'm hearing, I'm hearing stay consistent, be resilient, stay consistent, just stay consistent to what you said you were going to do. I think of books like the gate, uh, the game of numbers by Nick Murray. Like yeah. it really does come down to being consistently disciplined around the activity. Third thing I'm hearing you say, Good thing I'm hearing you say is, is follow through, follow up, follow through, follow up, follow through, follow up, follow through. And really in that, what I also heard is don't quit on your passion. Yeah. Like if you just do those first three things and you don't quit, eventually it comes around and people start seeking you out as someone who can add value. How did I do? Good. Yeah. And I would just add one thing. I always say to people, become a local. Um, say that again. Become a local. Becoming what local. I mean by that, um, I used to work at the Board of Trade. So locals are what they call the people who actually are in the pit who <laughs> trade like pork bellies or whatever. I actually mean it in two ways. Um, that so if I'm so I'm in Chicago, you can see the L train is on, on the front of my book there. I know it's gonna appeal to like Gen Xers and people who love music because it's all about like this person who goes back in time to kind of straighten out her stuff in the 90s, but then she gets lost hanging out in the 90s and has too much fun. Um, I know that you know. Um, there are people that I know who know people who maybe will have heard of the book or will have heard of the bands or the venues. Um, so I'm kind of working the Chicago route and people who don't know me, you know, as an author, they may, then people who might not have read my sports stuff because they don't read sports or I want to kind of get them to know me organically. So when I was in, when I was in sales, to give you an example, 
I became a local when I was selling currencies. Um, somewhere in the data, I, we had this big database. And one day I typed in the word yacht and I saw we had two accounts. And I was like, really, there's got to be like a lot of euros and pounds that I could sell to people who deal with yachts, which are pretty freaking expensive. So um, I started to become a local. I mean, I don't live in Miami, but I did a couple of business trips down there. And I'll to tell you a story like I actually got accounts. Um, you remember those those chocolates that they make in Chicago called Frangos? They used to sell at Marshall Fields and now Macy sells them. Yes. I would like literally transport 13 boxes of frangos and stop by offices of people who had opened accounts and not done much business. Or like I talked to them on the phone two or three times, but they were kind of blowing me off or they, you know, I'll show them like I'm the real deal. I'm going to be in town. Oh, here's a, you know, $14 box of chocolates. that will blow your mind. And then, yeah, I had people like respond to me after that. And they think that, you know, well, oh, maybe he, maybe he has a condo down here in Miami or maybe he's just love he's, it. Not. He's a local. He, he knows yachts and he, he knows i love chocolate i actually had one person try place a a trade for pounds i think i made 25 bucks off of it and then the assistant said send more chocolates which i did and then the next trade they did was like an eight thousand dollar trade so commission for me so so follow up become a local be authentic i think is the thread that runs through that like i'm not just going to show up and drop chocolates off if i don't like the guy i don't want to really want to earn his business but i want all that so wait 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 wait, wait. same thing what i'm out why, why do we even have to talk about that last point anymore? I don't the know. The whole, I mean, ser- seriously, Andy, like, look, let's unpack that for a second. All right. Why do we, why do, why do people still sell books on authenticity? How is this like this, like, like, like eye opening light bulb? Mo- this is not a light bulb moment. This is not an Alexander Graham, like telephone moment. Like this is not. It, it's not the, the Wright brothers teaching us how to fly a plane. Like, why, why do we still, why isn't it just understood to be authentic? I don't know. I, think, I mean, I think that authenticity is a Gen X generational thing that we're, I'm sort of, my generation sort of obsessed with. But, you know, in the 80s, we, you and I grew up in the 80s and we all, you know, fake until you make it. And um, I think that there's a lot of value inadvertently put on like, you got to be Steve Jobs to be successful. Uh, I look stu- I look stupid in a black turtleneck. So, you know, and I, I know technology to some degree, but I'm, I, you know, that's not me. I was in IT for a while and I never was going to be, I made good money while I was in IT, but I wasn't going to be like the next Steve Jobs. So it's okay to kind of take opportunities and make what you can with them and then transform to something else. Or like you work, I don't know, you work for Morgan Stanley or Goldman Sachs, but you really kind of want to run your own agency, your own shop. It's okay to decamp. People do that all the time. You can reinvent your own story and your own business footprint. I don't know why. Uh, I think we were just in the 20th century, we're sort of um, deputized in a bad way. If you're going to be in business, that you got to be like Gordon Gecko or you got to be like, you know, I don't know, or Max, Max Headroom or whatever. You got to have this. We all got to wear the same suit and uh, look like, you know, I don't know. I, I mean, you, you and I are both unshaven right now and we're not, <laughs> neither one of us are losing business or clients. So I think that kind of speak. And I watch uh, Ari Melbourne on MSNBC sometime. That dude's never shaven. And he's dropping like, never. He's dropping like, never. Wu-Tang I, references. he referenced MF Doom yesterday and nobody's going to go, oh, I don't know who the Wu-Tang Clan is. Click, I'm going to go watch CNN. Like people just, I think, you know, if you're authentic, people enjoy you and it makes your job easier. I guess that's my answer. Be authentic. It makes it a lot easier. You can come into somebody's office and say, oh, you have a lovely office. Or you can be like, hey, you know, what do you think about the Cubs game? Or I know you're a Sox fan. Sox suck. What do you what do you have to say about that? Like, 
you can be authentic within the realm of what you're comfortable with. And if you're not a jokey guy like you or I are, you know, there's probably some way you can just be relatable to people. And I think that just makes life easier, more enjoyable. That's what uh, I think. First of all, three, three references I love. First yeah. of all, I, 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 I've not read it, but I'm excited for the book. And I want to yeah. talk about that in a few minutes. Okay. Number two, I love the Gordon Gecko reference. So, so for like 10 years of my life, there was a Christmas where a very dear per- person in my life gave me uh, uh, Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross, Wall Street, and Boiler Room on DVD as my Christmas present. And you're wearing <laughs> suspenders right now, too. So. Say it again. And you're wearing suspenders right now. And I'm wearing suspenders right now. So I, I turned around. I was like, do I have that in my bookshelf? But I don't. Third thing, though, I love the Ari Melber reference. I like him. I like his style. I like the interviews. I like the guests. He just yeah. had Scooter Braun on. Did you see that? Uh, I think I missed that one. Okay. So it's it's fire. I, I, you know, like, look, I don't know Scooter well, but I'm consistently impressed with what the content I see online. So I don't know what the life's like, right? But what I see online, I'm consistently impressed by this young man. He's interviewing Scooter Braun. They both have facial hair all over the place. Nobody's saying a thing about it. And yet, right, we still have experienced a number of moments where people are like, why aren't you shaving? What's that about too? I mean, being authentic, you got to still say it. Shaving, you have to do it. What's that about? Yeah, I don't know. You're too busy moving and shaking to shave, I guess. I remember reading a, a line in Esquire years ago saying something like, um, somebody was describing their life as like a, as like an upcoming professional. And anyway, I remember this line was like, as a, as a, as a man, I'm having much too fun to fit shaved. Like to, this man is having much too fun in life to be, to ever be fully shaven. And like, that should be a name of a movie or a book, but I don't remember who wrote it. It was a while ago. All right, let's let's start to unpack some of the the recent people that you've interviewed. At least let's let's look at the last five years. I'm going to I'm going to give you a description. All right. And then I want you to share the first one that comes to mind and explain why. All right. Which was the most uncomfortable interview you've done with someone in sports? I don't really have a lot of those, but Ash Barty, who just retired for she's the world number one in tennis. She's just kind of like, um, I, I've had a few of these, mostly like not famous athletes where you say like, and I'm not super pretentious. I'm not Jim Gray. I don't say like, tell me your secrets about how you win. Like, I just say, you know, I'm interested. You, you're always killing it out there. I'm um, talking about your prep for either, you know, a rival or a big, you know, bigger. You know, just, I think I said like, how, how do you prepare for the big matches and the little ones? And she's like, I don't know. I, I don't really think about it. Just do, just do it. And that was her answer, like four <laughs> things. Just do it. And I was kind of like, Really, dude, thanks a lot. Like, it's like I got the same answer. I don't know. I just, I don't think about it. I just, and the only interesting thing, really interesting thing she said was that she's a homebody. Cause I think I got to like, so what do you do when you're not winning tennis champions? Like, what do you do for fun? I don't know. I just hang out with my cousins or my nephews or whatever. And it's like, so what do you like? And then I thought it was weird. Like, so I want to say, like, so what do you do with them? Like, I'm not going to ask her about taking her nephew to the park because that sounds creepy. I was like, okay, well, that's all right. Well, I guess I'm just going to have to write more. You know, the question and answers part of my uh, interview is shorter. And I'll just write more about our accomplishments. So, I mean, that was uncomfortable. It was just more like someone who is such a great yeah. athlete that has nothing right. they want to share. Like, I don't know. I just get up every day to do the same thing. Like, eh, no, you don't. Which who's the one that you interviewed and you were just like, 
man, I wish that didn't end so quick. Like that was so much fun. I wish that didn't end so quick. So I'm, you know, politically, I'm kind of a centrist and I got to interview and I'm a diehard Cubs fan. I got to interview uh, Adam Wainwright, who's a lifer for the Cardinals. And he's he doesn't tweet about it, but I know he's he's probably a conservative Christian. He's pretty conservative. Um, you know, I don't eat meat anymore. And he's like, has meat three times a day. And uh, he's from Atlanta, but he did tell me that the best ribs are in St. Louis. I don't know if he's just pulling the St. Louis, you know, towing the line for St. Louis. But I I talked to him um, on a Monday. I remember I had tickets to see. I was going with a friend to see Pearl Jam at Wrigley. It's the only time I've seen them. So this is like a couple of years Love ago. Love it. And I was just talking to him. I literally was like the next thing I was doing was going to a vegan restaurant with a friend of mine who it's like special diet, which I'm cool with that. And I think I mentioned it. And we're just talking about like cards. I could be like, I don't want to talk about the cards because you know, I'm a Cubs fan. But I mean, I asked, I asked Wayne, right? Like, and he was injured at the time too. I said, what's it like when I'm assuming this happened? Bob Gibson walks in the room. Now, Bob Gibson is, it, I guess, passed away about a year and a half ago, but like he was still alive in 17 or whatever I interviewed him. He's like, or no, at 19. 2019. And he's like, you know, the room gets silent, even though like we have fall future uh, Yachty and future Hall of Famers in our clubhouse. When Bob Gibson walks in, you're kind of afraid, like you're not going to say anything stupid because I mean, people remember him, the, you know, just knocking bats out of people's hands and just being super intimidating. And then I asked him, I was like, well, I'm guessing this too, but you ever talk to John Hamm? And he's like, oh, I got a, I got stories about John Hamm. He took us all out to dinner. Whenever we play the Cubs, he's like, good luck, whip the Cubs. I hate the Cubs. And I think I put that in my headline. I got a lot more reads than I would normally would for, and, you know, kind of end of his career, injured player, you know, um, who hadn't been an all-star in a while. But he, I mean, he was great. Like, I had nothing in common with him. We had talked for probably a half an hour. And um, my kid loves this. Uh, we've been to Cincinnati a couple of times. Uh, my kid loves this uh, barbecue restaurant called The Pontiac, which is in the middle of, like, the shishi part in over the Rhine, but it's like literally like you'll order ribs and wings and stuff and you'll get the side dishes of cornbread. And it's like the size of my desk. That's, that's what that kind of place it is. For talking about barbecue. And I was like, well, if you're ever in Cincinnati, check out the Pontiac. He's like, hold on. I got to write this down. Like he wrote down my suggestion for a, a barbecue place that he didn't know about. That yeah. was kind of, that was kind of cool. So, uh, love it. Yeah. So, I mean, I just talked to that dude again. I had nothing in common with him probably. And we, you know, he plays with the cards. I'm a Cubs fan, but you know, we had a great human conversation. And it was terrific. So, which, 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 uh, which person in sports have you interviewed that you think has overcome the most unique set of circumstances or adversity? And tell us that. I mean, there's a, probably a couple. I talked to a guy named David Brown, who's a blind Paralympian sprinter, last um, summer before the Paralympics. So, you know, the, the, the kind of the Olympics end and then the Paralympic games start after that. Yep. So I was talking to him. I think he maybe was born like 80% blind and the one eye that was working, you know, eventually kind of went out. So if you a lot of few times you see a picture of him, it looks like he's wearing a sleeping mask, but it's just like a mask to kind of protect his eyes. And blind sprinters run with a tandem partner. So they've got like a tether on their, uh, so it looks like they're running side by side with somebody who's not their coach. It's a tandem runner. And I'm talking to him and he's like, he was cool, but he was like, cocky as anybody he's like you know i'm out there to dominate and win you know i have no fear i'm gonna i'm gonna win another gold medal you know he wasn't at all like well we'll have to see the competition i mean he was i mean you think you know jordan's michael jordan's cocky you know or confident this guy's got a leg up on him that was kind of cool to see 
you know, I'm talking to him on, on, he's on FaceTime on his phone. I'm on my computer and I was, you know, I could tell it, you know, like when you're talking to somebody who's blind on video, yeah. it's, um, you know, you're not in front of them. So you don't feel as much like you're staring at them, but then yeah. it is slightly different. There's no, yeah. I there's like, you're listening and there's, there's not that eye contact thing that you need to have when you're, you know, when you're interviewing someone in person, it's just different. But I mean, he was pretty inspirational and yeah, I was like, yeah, this guy's going to go win some medals. I wasn't like, so what's it like being blind? How, how does that make you feel? It's more like, who are you going to kill next week in the Paralympic Games? Because that's where he was going. That was pretty cool. So, All right. La last one I'm going to ask you about. I want to go to the book before we yeah. wrap up today. We're coming up on time. Yeah. Draymond Green. Yeah. So oh, yeah. I, I'm good <laughs> friends with, I think, a dear friend of his. Well, not I don't think. I know yeah. a dear friend of his, Benny Fowler. Uh, my good buddy, Benny, just retired after a very, very meaningful eight-year career in the NFL, Michigan State Spartan, Detroit yep. Country Day grad. Shout out to Detroit Country Day, raising my children, Ava and Atlas, today here in the great state of Michigan. Benny and Draymond are dear friends. Yeah, I'm at Benny's wedding over Memorial Day weekend, and Draymond's there, surprisingly, in the middle of playoffs. Uh, he and his significant other, uh, they're there. I'm, I'm kind of I, I felt a little starstruck because yeah. now that, you know, I'm a transplant to Michigan and uh, two of my practice partners and the partner over our team, Paul Davis, and then our associate partner, David Thomas, all Michigan State grads, all coaches of disciples. You know, here's Draymond Green, coaches of disciple. I mean, he was just larger than life. Um, he's got a podcast. Yeah. I mean, he's a four time NBA champion defensive like mvp like a, a few seasons back i think 17 or 18 i can't even remember defensive player of the year i don't remember but i mean just an absolute assassin what was it like to invest time with him and can you share something that stood out from your interview with him well i'm guessing he's probably the same way as he was at, at your wedding he's like a regular down-to-earth guy i think he gets yes. in trouble for things he says because he's just like you and me you know but he's pretty laid back he's not really sort of over concerned about well what should i how should i respond to this question like he just <laughs> says what he says we talked about so subway was doing a campaign and uh he was part of it and we talked about that and you know asking somebody about like subway sandwich is not like the same thing as so how, how do you how do you grill a steak i think it's a little bit more pedestrian or could be but he was like talking about that and he's kind of like in a stage where i guess if you're you're burning eight thousand calories a day like he is you can eat as many sandwiches as you want he's he was geeking out about all the stuff that he puts on his, his Subway sandwiches and whatever else he eats. But the, he said in the, in the bubble when he was in the end, uh, I guess the, the Warriors weren't good enough to be in, in the bubble, the playoffs um, or that pod thing that they had uh, in 2020. But he was kind of present, I think, for some of the games. And he was kind of saying, like, wherever we were, we had to kind of stay where we were. But, you know, like I had to have my my fix of like, you know, like normal street food and stuff yeah. I like to eat. not. He's not like high and fancy and he's pretty much a nuts and bolts guy. So, and he's funny. So that's what I got out of talking to him. Just like, yeah, that, I mean, you, you, you were spot on. I mean, I, you know, I was at the wedding for a few hours and I just remember, I mean, he seemed larger than life to me, but then when you're up close, it's like, no, he is the most calm, relaxed, down to earth, funny person, very yeah. welcoming, came off extremely kind. I just saw for a time where, you know, there's some pressure and a little bit of stress. He probably handles it very well. He's obviously been there before. Yeah. Um, but I just thought, what man, what a class act. I love his podcast. So that's why I was just curious. I mean, I just, and, and, and you know what? 
to me, you talk about again, authenticity, which is why I can't, why, why are we even talking about being authentic? Right. But what he says, like, I genuinely believe like that's him. That's exactly who he is, what his beliefs are and how he sees in a situation, the position he takes. So that's awesome. Thanks for sharing it. Subway. Um, excuse me. I don't know how I feel about that, but, um, talk to us about the book. Yeah. So 90 days in the nineties is a novel. It's uh, fiction. And so I had just turned 50 this spring. So it's imagine it's a, it's a plot about kind of, you know, woman who's about my age or our age, somewhere between you and me. And, um, you know, her career kind of goes awry in New York. She moves back to Chicago to take over record uncle's record store. Cause he passed on. And, um, she starts getting nostalgic and kind of wondering why she ever left Chicago. So some of it's a love letter, Chicago, but, um, as you know, in Chicago, we have the, we have the red line that goes up North and South. We've got the blue line that takes us to, uh, O'Hare. We've got the brown line that kind of runs, you know, mostly on the North side of the city. And so there's the time travel machine is there's this fictional, or is it fiction? I don't know. It's a, it's a train line called the gray line that, you know, there's been urban legends about it and it takes you back in time. So she's heard about this and she's getting kind of nostalgic and kind of thinking about like, oh, you know, maybe I could reboot my life and fix some things. And uh, she's really into music, obviously, as a record store owner would be and discovers that there's a, a stop under a record store and decides to you know take a trip back to the 90s. And uh, the subtext is kind of like, you know, one of my favorite authors is Nick Hornby. He wrote um, About a Boy and High Fidelity and so on. You know, maybe it's a generational thing, but there is an interest in her, like, going back in time and fixing some things or having a do-over. But when she goes back to the 1990s, she ends up having a little bit too much fun. And that's kind of becomes sort of part of the problem and that she doesn't deal with her stuff. And then she gets stuck back in time. So it's very Chicago heavy, very uh, music and pop culture heavy. I don't know, maybe shorthand way to say it's like, you know, hot tub time machine and high fidelity, you know, mixed up with back to the future with a ton of music and pop culture. And, you know, she's transported back to 1996 and has some cool stuff going on. So where can people get the book today? Yeah, well, a couple, I mean, obviously you can get it on Amazon or barnesandnoble.com, wherever you want to get it, uh, wherever you shop for books normally. Um, if you go to 90daysin90s.com, you can order it off me. And I'll sign a copy and send a little swag in there. Uh, I always like give away free stuff. And I love uh, it. Yeah, as an author, I get to keep a little bit more of the money. I mean, you know, with uh, Amazon, they obviously take a big cut. The cool part is Amazon and some of the bigger retailers, they do like broadcast your book out there so more people can get it. So if you're in the US, I'd just say go to 90daysin90s.com. Um, yeah, and get your copy of the book well, right and, away. And, and, uh, I think it's going to be anybody who loves pop culture. It's it's not it's actually not science fiction. It's not uh, it's science fiction light. I would say, but if you love American pop culture, whether you're into grunge or punk or even pop music, I think you'll probably like it. I you know I find that well number one let's let's acknowledge the 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 website is actually directly over Andy's left shoulder in the background, right? So yep. uh, you know when he says ninety days in the nineties dot com, it makes it sound like no big deal. You should know if it's you know numbers or letters but it's right over his shoulder. Number two, though, I find that we will, as humans, will deprive of ourselves of things we look forward to and would even enjoy because we think we lack time. Can you quantify for our listeners about how long of a read is it if you really sit down and dive into it? I don't know. I, I think I've, 
I, I had a couple of people who got it, pre-ordered it, said they got it through it in two days. But I mean, I know mo- both of those people on top of my head are pretty diehard music people. Uh, I think it's the ultimate rock and roll novel. I think it's the ultimate novel about Chicago. If you like Chicago, you've ever been to Chicago. And it's the ultimate novel about the 90s. So it's definitely like, you know, my wife and my dad, my dad knows, read my bio and he's like, uh, he's reading about my bio, how I got to interview Allison Chains and Oasis and uh, Morrissey, you know, the English singer from the Sith. He's like, I've never heard of any of these, these artists. I'm like, well, you're 78. Of course you haven't. But he told me last week, he's like, actually, you know, this is, I know nothing about the music, but I'm, I'm enjoying reading this. I guess that means it's fairly easy to read. I don't try to be all complicated. And I had a couple of really good editors that kind of said, bring it down, focus on the reader. Because I mean, just like sales, it's about your audience. You got to appreciate your audience because that's who your partner is. So that's where the kind of the five years that I spent writing the book, you know, I had this 120,000 word thing. And someone's like, that's great that you want to share all this, but think about your readers. So I just made it like, you know, straight up story about time travel with a heavy dose of pop culture. And, uh, you know, you don't have to know, I don't know, Fugazi's, you know, latest album to understand it. I mean, uh, I make fun of, if it make, there's a couple of bands I make. I make fun of Phil Collins a little bit and people who like, you know, his movie soundtrack career type of music. But I think there's something for everybody. It's, I think it's an enjoyable read. I definitely loved writing it. I'm getting, the feedback I'm getting is, you know, I didn't, real, I didn't realize how fun the 90s were. And, you know, people tell me that that's what they enjoy about the book. Love it. 90 days in the 90s.com. And don't forget, he said he'd sign it and drop it in the mail to you. Andy, I have to acknowledge the fact that I was almost choking on my last word when I asked you to speak about the book. And as my young son, Atlas Kai Amesqua says, the only drink I should keep in my office is San Pellegrino. So this is a shout out to San Pellegrino. You just saved my life from choking um, on behalf of Atlas. And myself, thank you, Andy, sports writer, author, 90 days in the 90s. Um, it's been awesome being together again. Loved hearing the stories. Uh, you are, you're a great storyteller, you know that. Well, I, I try, I'm, I'm a good anecdote teller, really enjoyed it. I got to like four at the same time, that's the problem. So, let's do it again soon. Andy Fry, F R Y E, he's still a Chicagoan. Love it, man. Thanks for being on the show. Thank you. Appreciate it, Manny. Good talking to you.